Gonzaga has time to do something. Suggs for the win. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. Classic basketball game. What is up, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi, and I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Review and Preview Network from a weekly NBA and college basketball show. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. In tonight's episode, we got a jam-packed episode. We got the second round of the NBA playoffs in full force right now. We're going to go through each matchup going on. We've got Tom Scavetta joining the show later to talk about his Bucks and the NBA in general. Uh, beforehand, we'll go, go over some of the top headlines of the week. Baylor Shireman committing to Creighton, Nikola Jokic winning MVP, some more intro, some more news on the transfer portal, uh, Mike Brown going to the Kings, and the NBA draft lottery, which is uh, set to take place next Tuesday. So I hope everybody's doing well. Didn't have a show last week, took last week off, so coming back even stronger this week. With, uh, with a brand new episode for you guys. So first things first, jump right into it. Baylor Shireman commits to Creighton, uh, the Summit League Player of the Year. So this kind of kind of old news since it happened last week, but um, Shireman, for what played at South Dakota State this past year, was the Summit League Player of the Year, as I said, and uh, kind of made his name a more much more of a household name because of the tournament, uh, South, South Dakota State's appearance in the tournament. Uh, he had tremendous player, averaged about 16 and 8 this year for uh, for the Jackrabbits, and he's committing to Creighton. He's from Nebraska, so he uh, wanted to opted to go home. He basically was the most coveted uh, transfer on the market this this offseason of college basketball, most, most would say. He got suitors from pretty much every top program, and Duke, Kentucky, all uh, reached out to him. He kind of narrowed down his list to an interesting list that that featured, um, I believe, Arkansas was on the list. Featured Creighton, uh, Duke was one of the finalists, but it's, uh, he ended up choosing Creighton after all. And this elevates Creighton into an easy preseason top five team, uh, without a doubt. Creighton was a good team last year. And this addition kind of puts them over the edge, in my opinion. And they, they're they probably going to be uh, preseason two or three, yeah, to be completely honest. Should be the favorites of the Big East, especially with Jay Wright leaving uh, Villanova. Going to be, be very interesting to see how that affects the program. But they got Ryan Nemhard coming back, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Arthur Kaluma, and Ryan Cockbrenner. Projected to be their starting five: Cockbrenner, Alexander, and Nemhard, all and Kaluma too. All four of these, those guys played big parts of Creighton season this year, where they made a run to the tournament. Uh, they're they're going to have a good team. This is probably going to be the best Creighton team that we've seen since uh, Doug McDermott, since the Dougie McBucket days when he when he went to play for his dad. Uh, we got a comment. What about Indiana University? Um, I. Don't really know what that has to do with uh, with Baylor Shireman, but I he he was considering Indiana, but I you know a little bit a little confusing. Okay, I think I think we got we got a little bit of a a bot going on there. What about Indiana? Whatever, we'll pass on that. But Baylor Shireman's committing to to Creighton, so the Blue Jays are getting a good one, and that was the big transfer portal news. That kind of happened um, 
this this go around uh, to start to start the um, to start the uh, season to start the uh, transfer portal list, and then Amani Bates is another one too. So Amani Bates narrows down his list. Uh, Shireman already committed to Creighton. Amani Bates is kind of the next man up that they're that they're looking at. He's got a few finalists. He announced uh, his final six. It's a very very interesting list. Eastern Michigan, Arkansas, Seton Hall, DePaul, Michigan, and Louisville. Now, Imani Bates was considered by some to be the top prospect in the class of in the high school class of 2022. He, before this college basketball season, he reclassified and joined Memphis a year early. Uh, it was not eligible for the NBA draft this year, so it will be forced to play a second year in college or decide to whatever he wants to do, but he's going to have to play another year before declaring for the NBA draft in 2023. And the news already broke that he's leaving Memphis. Memphis seems like they're going through a lot of issues right now. Penny Hardaway and that program uh, are under a bit of fire to, to say the least, but they're losing Bates and Bates narrowed down his list. Um, the one the one interesting one on there is Eastern Michigan. He's from Ann Arbor. So Michigan makes sense. But Eastern Michigan is a very interesting one. Um, Noah Farrakhan is the star player for Eastern Michigan, so he could re- unite with him and kind of create a force in like a, in a mid-major uh, kind of environment. But I ultimately, the ultimate uh, favorite seems to be Louisville. Louisville has emerged as the favorites after hiring Kenny Payne. Uh, I, I anticipate him going to probably Louisville, it's probably the top three programs in that in that list is Louisville, Michigan, and Arkansas, and he probably chooses one of those. If he wants to stay home, he can go to Michigan. Uh, I I think I think Eastern Michigan's more of a formality. He's kind of um, he's kind of like paying respect to his hometown. He was actually he was born at the Michigan University Hospital too, in um, and grew up in Ann Arbor. So you know he's got. He's Michigan born and raised. So being a Michigan Wolverine almost seems like a perfect storyline. But it's, uh, the crystal ball right now says that Louisville is most likely what's going to happen. Uh, we got my dad in the comments. What do you think about the move St. John's made? Tremendous moves. We got Andre Corbello from Illinois. Um, we got Andre Corbello from Illinois, which I thought was an absolute steal. Fantastic move. He's from New York. It was a great move. And then David Jones from DePaul. David Jones has been one of the DePaul's better players over the past couple of seasons. Him and Javon uh, Freeman Liberty have had amazing years this past year. DePaul, you know, kind of has underperformed a bit, but St. John's landed both of them. And they're going to need some, they're going to need some depth with Julian Champagne leaving, with Aaron Wheeler leaving. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to need to stack up their roster. So I think that's great. They also, they also signed, courtesy of my dad, who actually told me this, they actually signed a seven-footer to back up Joel Soriano. Uh, so so St. John's doing decent on the on the uh, portal. So I'm liking what I've seen so far. And I, I'm I'm very excited about what the Johnnies have been doing. I, I think that a, a backcourt of Curbelo and Posh Alexander has the potential to be extremely good. We'll see how, how much offense we get out of that backcourt, but... You know, I um, there's there's definitely enough star power to go around for sure. We've got Tom Scavetta who is chilling backstage right now, getting ready to come on in a little bit. Excited to join tonight. Excited to have you on, Tom. We'll be talking some NBA hoops, and we got Garth Michael Patrick. How about Shire hiring Jay Lucas out of Kentucky? Shire, an already great recruiter, brings in an equally talented recruiter. Just unfair for everyone else. That's a tremendous point and one that I was meaning to come to come across uh, an absolutely unbelievable hire by Shire because a lot of college basketball insiders and diehards consider Shire the best recruiter in college basketball and Jay Lucas the second best recruiter in college basketball. Now Duke has the first and the second best recruiters. And Kentucky, on the other hand, a lot of the top guys that they get, they – give credit to Jay Lucas being able to land them and not coach Cal. So I, it, it it's insane. That's just like a, a, 
kind of like a rich get richer type of thing for Duke. They they lose Coach K and they might end up being in a better situation than uh, than they were over the past ten years, which I think is absolutely crazy. But it's 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 looking like it's headed towards that direction. So jumping over to the NBA, we got Nikola Jokic won won the MVP. Obviously, the awards have been coming out kind of like in an interesting way. Uh, they used to they used to have the award show that was like towards the NBA Finals, but then they didn't do that this year. They kind of they named like Defensive Player of the Year. They gave Marcus Smart, and they gave it Sixth Man, and all and all of that. And they just named the MVP two days ago in the morning. I think it was like Sunday morning or something like that, or or yesterday morning. It might have been yesterday morning, but it was like it was weird. It was like at eight a.m. or something like that. Just the news broke that he won MVP, but. Regardless, Jokic wins his second straight MVP, averaged 27 points, 13.8 boards, 7.9 assists, 1.5 steals, and shot 58% from the field and 34% from three. Not a shocker to me one bit. Uh, Joel Embiid was is obviously the guy that everybody thinks got snubbed. Uh, I think that Embiid had a tremendous season, but again, Jokic... Jokic these past two years have been arguably the best two years we've seen from an NBA big man ever. You can you can put it into the conversation with the way that he's scoring with efficiency and literally doing everything. He can handle the ball. I and I've been saying it since episode one of the three and D. I've been saying it since the beginning of this show. It is extremely underrated how difficult it is for a big man to be as good of a passer as Jokic is it's it's absolutely unbelievable for for a big man to average 27 13 and 8 like that's just that's just ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous so I I think Jokic completely deserved it you know a lot of people say they got um they got bounced early so they probably but this is a regular season award so at the end of the day that really doesn't matter so I I don't think that has anything to do with it, but Jokic wins MVP again. I'm glad to see it. Uh, Joel Embiid had a tremendous year. You know, if he wasn't going up against uh, a a sensational season from Jokic, then he probably would win the MVP any other season. And then some other news, the Kings hire Mike Brown. Mike Brown, 52 years old, signed a four-year deal with the Sacramento Kings couple of other finalists for the Kings job came out as Mike D'Antoni and Mark Jackson. Once again, Mark Jackson is a finalist for a job and gets passed up on the opportunity. Really, it, it really makes you think. I thought that there was a decent shot that, uh, that he was going to get the Kings job, but it's, they decided to go with Mike Brown. And Brown has a bunch of head coaching experience, was the Cavs head coach from 2005 to 2010 was the Lakers head coach for one season plus five games, the 11-12 season, and then was fired five games into the 12-13 season uh, after they started off one and four. Then he was the Cleveland Cavaliers um, head coach again from 2013 to the 2013-14 season. So he spent two stints with the Cavs, and he's been the Golden State Warriors associate head coach since 2016. So he's been... But, but he's won two championships with um, under Steve Kerr as Warriors associate head coach. So it's very solid hire. You know, Brown has been around for a long time. So a lot of people would think that, you know, he's kind of an older guy, but it's, uh, he's only 52 years old. He's he's definitely got some years left in him, and he's done a great job with the Warriors over the past several years. You know, Steve Kerr thinks highly of him. You know, thinks that he's he's like he's basically Steve Kerr's right hand man through the through the dynasty that we've been seeing of the Warriors over the past over the past six years. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with the Kings. Seems like every head coach goes there to die, pretty much. Um, the everybody's careers kind of end in Sacramento. So uh, it, I I don't know what to expect, but it's, you know I'm I'm glad for Mike Brown. And hopefully, hopefully he's able to get some a little bit out of that talent because they they do have some talent out there. They definitely do with De'Aaron Fox and Davian Mitchell trading for Demontis Sabonis. They they've got some talent now in Sacramento. So see if they can flip the script next season. Be very interesting. And then the last piece of news before we jump, bring in our guest Tom, and we jump into NBA playoff matchups. The NBA draft lottery is set for next Tuesday. So kind of getting swept under the rug a little bit. I mean, mainly because people 
obviously care more about the teams that are winning than the teams that lost this past year. So, but this, this is a big day for us Knicks fans and for us fans of teams that didn't make the playoffs because we're going to find out where we draft, where we're going to be drafting this, uh, this upcoming NBA draft, which is said to be held on June 24th. So that's quickly coming up as well. Going to have full coverage on this in the next month for the three and D. So stay tuned with that. But some of the odds for the first overall pick, the Rockets, Magic, and Pistons all all share the highest odds at getting the first pick. They all have a 14% chance at the first pick. Houston can't, can't fall past five. Orlando can't fall past six. And Detroit can't fall past seven. So since Houston finished with the worst record, they they, they kind of changed the lottery system around a little bit to try to avoid teams from tanking. So the bottom three all have the same chance again, the first overall pick. Uh, that was like a new addition a few years ago, but the Rockets can't fall past five. They have a 47. They technically have the highest chance at getting the fifth pick. They have a 47.9% chance at getting the fifth pick. Um, Orlando has a 47.8 chance of getting the fifth or sixth pick. And then Detroit can't fall past seven, but they, they show the best odds. OKC is next on the list. They have a 12.5% chance at the, at the first pick. Their highest odds though, is them getting the sixth pick at 25.7%. Then they can't fall past eight. The Indiana Pacers also have a 10.5% chance. Again, the first pick, uh, they can't fall past seven which they can't fall past eight, but their highest uh, likelihood is that they get seven, which is 26.7%. Then the Portland Trailblazers have a 9% chance um, at getting the first pick. They have a 50.3% chance of getting the seventh or eighth pick. So that's most likely what's going to end up happening for them. Uh, and they can't fall past nine. Sacramento has a 7.5% chance. The Pelicans have a 6% chance via the Lakers. The Pelicans obviously made the playoffs this year and, you know, kind of kind of gave a little bit of a run in the first round of the playoffs, as, as we all saw. So they're not actually in the lottery, but part of the Anthony Davis trade, the Pelicans get the Lakers first round pick this year and the Lakers chose a terrible year to not make the playoffs. Uh, so they won't be getting their first round pick. The Pelicans get it instead. So the Pelicans have a 6.6% chance of getting the first pick. 34.1% chance at the eighth pick and a 32.1% chance at the ninth pick. The Spurs have a 4.5% chance at the first pick and they can't fall past 10. Wizards have a 3% chance at the first pick. The Knicks have a 2% chance at the first pick and the Oklahoma City Thunder have a 1.5% chance at the first pick. The Oklahoma City Thunder have two lottery picks this year. This one is via the Los Angeles Clippers. So the Clippers also chose a bad year to not make the playoffs because they, uh, they technically they only have a one point five percent chance at the first pick, but that goes toward to Oklahoma City instead. So that's where the, that's where the likelihood lies. The Knicks have the second worst odds of getting the first pick, and they have a seventy seven point six percent chance of getting the eleventh pick. So with the New York Knicks luck, they definitely will not have a shot at getting the first pick and will probably end up with the 11th pick uh, as, as always seems to happen. I, w- I would not be surprised. I w- I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. You know, the last few years we've been seeing, um, you know, the year that Zion went first overall, the Pelicans only had like a 9% chance or something at the first pick. Like they had like the fifth or sixth best odds and they somehow won. So you never know. But with a 2% chance, I'm, I'm not holding my breath one bit when it comes to that. And now that wraps it up for all of the big headlines that have gone on this week, things to look forward to. Without any further ado, we're going to bring on our guest, Tom Scavetta, talk about some NBA playoffs. Tom, how are we doing? What's going on, Paul? We're doing good, doing real good. Um, I was about to ask you that jersey behind you, but I saw the 23 Jordan back there, so... Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I had to, had to hang up a couple of things. I got the Jordan poster, the other side, Jordan poster. I got the Jordan North Carolina shirt. I got jaw. I got Obi up there. So got to rep the Knicks. It's going to be draft. It's lottery week. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's always a big time for, for us Knicks fans, sadly, but for your bucks, they're on the, they're on a completely different, um, a different 
track as that the Knicks were that the obviously that the Knicks are on. They're deep in the playoffs, making a deep run to try to get back to the championship. How before we go into some of the other matchups, we'll save the Celtics versus Bucks matchup for last. But any any thoughts? Any quick thoughts on you, you know how you think the Bucks have performed so far? I think they've performed as expected. Uh, I think everybody knew they'd beat the Bulls in five games. Um, you know, DeRozan had his one game where he went off. Um, and I do agree with that comment from your father, um, <laughs> unfortunately. It's not, unfortunately, I mean, 2% chance we're not getting that. We're going to, we have like a 77% chance at the 11th pick, but that's what's going to end up happening. <laughs> what's going on, Noah? What's going on? Uh, Hawks fan. Noah Dibler. Um, I'm oh, sorry. Really? Sorry about last year. Yeah. Um, so look, I think the Bucks they handle the Bulls series well. The big thing is, again, the elephant in the room is Chris Middleton. When is he going to come back? And right now, you know, I wouldn't say they're struggling against Boston. I feel like this is how I expected the series to go. I think it will come down to seven games, only because no Chris Middleton, quite frankly. And even last night, you saw it really for the first time this entire playoffs, they missed him down the stretch. They were at home. The game was in their hands. They had an outstanding third quarter. And I think the issue, Drew Holiday's taking too many shots is where other players need to get more of a piece of the pie to compensate for Middleton's loss. And right now, I think the more Drew Holiday shoots these perimeter shots, the less success the Bucks are going to have scoring the basketball. You have to get the ball into the hands of the other guys like Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez and uh, Wesley Matthews and Grayson Allen. So I think those are guys that, you know, all need to carve into that void that's left by Chris Middleton. No, absolutely. I think that they got to play all around better team basketball. You know, Grayson Allen's got to step up. They, they still have a tremendous team even when Middleton is down and they could be, should be able to beat the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Celtics are surging and the Celtics are red hot right now, but this team could definitely still beat them without without Middleton. So I, it's it's definitely going to go seven games. Mm -hmm. I anticipate the exact same thing. I think that'll be very interesting. But the Suns versus Mavericks, one interesting series that's going down. A series tied two to two right now. Luka Doncic has been unbelievable throughout the entire playoffs, averaging thirty one points, ten rebounds, and seven assists, doing what Luka does best basically carrying the team on his back. Jalen Brunson has also been amazing for Dallas. He's going to get himself a big contract this offseason because of mainly because of uh, how well he's playing in the playoffs right now, averaging 23.5 points. Uh, the Suns falling down a little bit. This series is heading back to Phoenix for Game 5. I think it's, it's a very interesting situation that the Suns are in because struggling a little bit. They've been in and out of injuries. Uh, the Mavericks have have been a gritty team all year. And I think that they're, they're starting to show it. They have a, they have a very solid, very solid all around team. Jason Kidd is kind of turning that narrative in my opinion, as, as being a better head coach than I expected. Yeah. And I remember Jason Kidd, he was our head coach for a hot second. And um, that's around the time I first started watching the Bucks actually um, consistently. And I think Dallas has surprised a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, didn't think they would get past Utah, but they did. Um, I think that's who they played. It was a 4-5, and now they're up against Phoenix, and the series is tied 2-2. Two to two. I mean, you have two rising stars in Luka Doncic and Devin Booker. I think Doncic is averaging 33 points a game in this series. That's yeah. remarkable. The problem is, who's that complimentary player? Is it Jalen Brunson? You know, is it somebody else? You know, because they dealt the way Porzingis, uh, you know, their front court, I still think is lacking, in my opinion, as where the Suns have guys like DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, where I still think that gives them the advantage, uh, not to mention they have the home court advantage. You know, two of, the, of these last three games are at home. I just, it's hard for me to have the Suns losing in, the second round. But I do agree, Paul, the narrative is somewhat changing on these Dallas Mavericks. You have Doncic, who is maturing year by year. You know, he got that playoff series win, which was huge. And now, you know, they're riding the defending Western Conference champs last year all the way to the grinder here. I mean, it's it this it's crazy. I'm pretty sure all four series are two to two. The right three of the four are two to two. Yeah. 
The the only three one, one three to one is Warriors. Oh, after winning last right. night, yeah, that but was a late lit. That was past my bedtime. <laughs> it, I, I didn't, I'll be completely honest with you, with everyone. I didn't watch a second of that game last night. That was that was definitely past my bedtime. Um, I I watched every bit of the Bucks game though, and that was that was tremendous. <sighs> it was tremendous. Al Horford pulled off some uh, 2012 vibes there when he was back with the Atlanta Hawks. Man, I tell you, that was rough. And Coach Bud knows this guy, right? He used to coach this guy. Absolutely. So, I thought Absolutely. they would have offset him a little, but they couldn't do it last night. I mean, it was his. He's not going to go off like that every night, though. Like that's the way I look at it. So yeah, the, the that was like vintage Al Horford. That's that performance back when he was in Atlanta in his prime. He used to he was consistently doing stuff like that. He wasn't, I mean, a thirty-plus point per game kind of guy, but yeah. He was coming up big in big situations, hitting big shots. He, he's all around good player, and the fact that um that you know he kind of uh broke out the way he did last night was uh was kind of was pretty interesting. And then Noah, an old comment, wait, already brought that one up. One more win for Redacted, and we'll call it even. We also got DeAndre Bembry has no place on an NBA roster other than as a water boy. Tom, <laughs> your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I don't think he belongs in the league anymore, quite frankly. Um, his time has passed him. I don't know how he's still in the league, but uh, Noah's right, man. I mean, I don't disagree with Noah often uh, other than that uh, game one between Rangers Penguins, but that's another that's another sport. So Absolutely. Uh, that, that's I, I, think, I think that's a valid point. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's an, that's another crazy series, but we won't even get into that. What's going on? Jens James from our family here, our review and preview. What's up, James? And then Noah, former Atlanta Hawk, Al Horford. Terrible college, though. Yeah, Louisiana Tech. Very, uh, very small. No, 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 no. Horford went to Florida. Horford went to Florida. Paul Millsap went to Louisiana Tech. Yeah. I'm thinking of a different Atlanta Hawk. There you go. <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah, Al Horford went to Florida. He was, he was part of the, the, um, back to back. the, the back-to-back championship, uh, Billy Donovan team when they had and Tori uh, Green. Yeah. Corey Brewer. They had Lee, Lee Humphreys. Lee Humphreys. They, that was a good team. That yeah. was really good. Billy Donovan Damn. was a great coach, but anyway, Suns versus Mavericks tight series. Again, mm-hmm. two of the three games are going to be in Phoenix. I think that Phoenix is going to end up pulling it out. I don't even know. I personally don't. I'm not even sure if it's going to go seven games. Yeah. I think that there's a very decent chance that Phoenix could win the next two mm-hmm. and end it in six. Uh, but it's obviously anytime a series is tied two to two, more than likely it's going to go seven games. So it, this is definitely a very, very interesting series. And then we got the Warriors versus the Grizzlies, the game that we didn't watch last night, but. Uh, a series, nonetheless, that has been extremely exciting. The Warriors now lead three to one after beating the Grizzlies yesterday. Series is going back to Memphis for Game Five, then Golden State for Game Six, and then Memphis again for Game Seven. The big news, though, that came out about an hour before the show started was that John Morant's bone bruise is worse than expected, and he is most likely done for the playoffs. So that is a huge blow for the Grizzlies. I mean, they're down three to one anyway. So the likelihood of them coming back in this series and even winning a game, winning a game in Golden States is very unlikely. But without John Morant, uh, the, the dream is pretty much dead. I think the Grizzlies had a tremendous year. They've got a tremendous future as well because I love their young players. I love Desmond Bain. I love Brandon Clark. I love all those guys. Love them when they were in college, but. John Morant, I'm telling you, uh, without without him, he's he's the heart and soul of that team. And you know, when you're down three to one, it's going to be difficult to come back to that anyway. I think it's pretty much over. I think the Warriors will probably end up punching their ticket to the conference finals first before anyone else. Yeah, when you look at John Morant, he's the straw that stirs the drink for the Memphis Grizzlies, right? And I mean, you're looking at players who essentially have to step up for this guy. You're looking at Tyus Jones starting tomorrow night um, with the lineup that features Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., and then Steven Adams. Uh, That's not a recipe for success heading into Golden State. Unfortunately, I think Memphis is done tomorrow night. Golden State just has too much depth. 
And uh, quite frankly, I love the way that uh, Clay Thompson has been playing. I know he didn't shoot the ball great from three last night, but defensively wise, you know, he's really done a nice job in this series. Um, you know, he had seven rebounds last night too. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And then the depth off the bench, Otto Porter Jr., Jordan Poole, Kavon Looney. Um, they have good players on the back end of their bench that don't even play much. So, I mean, how can you not bet the Warriors to make the Western Conference Finals? But for me, I think it, they're going tomorrow night. I mean, especially after the start that they had to the season, it was almost like destiny for them to make it to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't necessarily know if they're going to win. I guess it, it really depends on who wins the Suns versus Mavericks series. I think if the Mavericks end up winning, the Warriors will probably advance to the finals. If the Suns end up winning, the Suns probably beat the Warriors. But the Warriors have an extremely good shot no matter who they end up facing. Got no one in the comments. Again, have to win a close game like that in a crucial game four. Grizz are done. Absolutely. They, the last night was a must win. When you're down two to one, you got to win, especially when you're out without your, your best player. And now the news broke that he's done for the playoffs. So even if they somehow came back from a three to one lead, they'd be uh, without jaw for the remainder of the season anyway. But, you know, the, this Warriors team came out of the gate red hot. They came out of the mm -hmm. gates absolutely incredible kind of bringing back their old uh, Golden State mindsets back when they, even before they had Durant, when it was just Curry, Clay, and Draymond. And Clay coming back from injury has not been himself for the majority of the season, but starting to find his rhythm in the playoffs. You know, next season, once he gets a full season under his belt, he's going back to the old Clay Thompson. And Draymond Green, uh, once again, brings the, the brings that star power to on the defensive end. And it, they're just an all-around all around tough team. They have great depth, which I think has been key all season long for with Otto Porter and Kevon Looney. And, you know, James Wiseman hasn't even played this year either. No. That, was, that, was a, that was a guy that, that they thought could be an X factor when he came back, and he ended up not even playing this year. Uh, but the Warriors, the Warriors definitely, I think, are poised to win this series. Absolutely. So jumping over to the Eastern Conference now, the Heat versus the Sixers. So this is another fun series. All four of them have been fun series, but this one, this one's tied two to two, and this one's been getting chippy. You know, the Sixers, Joel Embiid, um, obviously one of the uh, loudest players in the NBA. You know, he he, he lets it be known when, um, you know, things aren't things aren't going right, all that kind of stuff, but. He's he's had a great series, and Jimmy Butler has had the best series in my opinion. Butler, is it, throughout the playoffs, is averaging twenty nine points a game, but he's completely put the team on his back. He's living up to the money that they gave him a few summers ago, and he in his first season with the Heat, he ended up carrying them to the finals in the bubble, and he's looking to do the same thing again here. Tyler Hero's becoming a stud, too. He won sixth man of the year this year, but he's not even going to stop there. He's going. To, he's a future all-star in the league, without a doubt. Tyler Hero's a great player. Uh, he's a great second second piece as a scorer. And one interesting thing, too, is Duncan Robinson getting a bunch of DNPs. Uh, just gave him that big $80 million contract. He has not been playing much. He didn't have a great season this year. They, they've been getting great minutes out of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, who two of their undrafted guys, uh, Gabe Vincent was on a two-way con I think they were both on two-way contracts with them and they both got promoted, uh, to the actual roster, but, but both getting huge minutes when Kyle Lowry was out, uh, Gabe Vincent was starting, and when Butler was out, Max Struess was starting. The two of them getting huge minutes. I mean, Struess was a tremendous college player. I didn't really watch much of Gabe Vincent. He played at UC Santa Barbara, so I didn't really see too much of him. But Max Struess played at DePaul. You know, he was a Big East guy. I saw, watched him play a ton while he was in college, and he was a great player back then. And you could tell that if he was in the right situation in the NBA, if he caught on to the right team, he'd be able to try to make, kind of make a name for himself and. That's exactly what he's doing, and he's kind of starting to put the team on his back. Yeah, and when I look at him, he's given Duncan Robinson a nice warm seat on the bench. That's what he's done. Absolutely. Um, do I trust that backcourt against the Sixers, though? Not really because of what they have to offer with guys like Tyrese Maxey, James Harden, Matisse Tybull. 
I know there, there's been issues. They've had injuries that they've had to deal with. Danny Green. But at the end of the day, Paul, um, yeah, Strews had trouble catching on with the Bulls. So he moved over to Miami, and Miami just gets these random guys you've never heard of before. And if you didn't watch Big East basketball, you didn't know who Max Strews was. Absolutely. Um, they have this guy named Omer Yurtsevin. I don't know who the hell that is. Um, also, this guy Highsmith they have on their bench. I've never heard of him before. Haywood Highsmith. Uh, yeah. They just get these guys that are no-name guys, and they succeed. And even you know, right now they're they're up nine to seven. That game just tipped off on TNT. So, yeah. you know, it, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle. The fact that they're doing this without Kyle Lowry is very, very impressive. I know Philly has had injuries in their own right. Joel Embiid's playing with, you know, like a essentially a broken face, right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to have to get surgery once the season's over. It's it's honestly amazing. He's got a broken face. He's got finger issues. Like, you got to yeah. give credit where credit is due when it comes mm-hmm. to Joel Embiid. He's playing through anything. He's He's got broken fingers right now. He's playing through. Like, he's he wants to win the championship, and mm-hmm. that's the only thing on his mind. And – He's he's playing great too. James Harden had a great game last game, but he was a little bit MIA throughout the playoffs before that. He was not the old James Harden. So a lot of people started to question, you know, what kind of James Harden are the Sixers going to get moving forward? Um, yeah. But Tyrese Maxey is becoming a star player. And Omir Yurt 7, you're just alluding to another Big East guy. He started NC State, then he went to Georgetown for a year or two, I remember. Um, he, decent decent college player, but big guy. And I think that's, that really plays into Spolstra as a head coach, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I think that he's, he's one of the best head coaches of all time. He's uh, probably a top three head coach in the NBA right now. Not, not probably, pretty much definitely. And he's been a top three head coach in the NBA for a long time. And he just gets the best out of his players. You know, you they anybody that they slot in, you know, they're making they're making these guys great. Would Tyler Hero have become this good of a player if he was drafted by the Wizards or somebody like that? Who knows? Who knows? Could be a good situation. Max Struess was bouncing around. Nobody really wanted him finding a home there. Duncan Robinson. I mean, Duncan Robinson probably wouldn't have got that $80 million contract if he uh, went to go play somewhere else. So very, very interesting stuff. I think the Heat's. I think the Heat are pretty locked in right now. Series is tied 2-2. Two two. The game is going on right now. The game is in Miami as the one seed. So it'll be Miami for game five, Philly for game six, and then the game seven, if needed, would be back in Miami. Um, I, I'm pulling for the Miami in this one. It's going to go seven games, though. That's that's my opinion. I'm pulling for Miami, too, but uh... – Spo has shown it wasn't just LeBron and Wade helping that team win. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. But Very is Kyle well. Lowry coming back in this series? Are they going to get him? You know, I feel like pretty much every game he's day-to-day. And that's that's what the situation has seemed like. And, I, you know, I would assume that he'd probably be coming back pretty at some point. If he yeah. was, if he had a more significant injury, they would announce he's done for the playoffs, probably. But he's pretty much he's pretty much day to day from game to game, so you, so you really never know. Um, but I I think that is I think it's very interesting. They they definitely need him back because if we saw in Game Four, if Harden is getting onto his game and Maxie's on his game too, there's nobody in that backcourt that can stop them. That's the only problem. Like Gabe Vincent, Max Drews, great role players, but we're talking about James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, who, you know, Harden, former MVP, Maxey's becoming an all-star in the league. You know, there's there's not much that they can do about those two. Right. No, I agree, and I do think you're right. I think the series is going to extend to potentially seven games. Um, I'm a little worried, though, about Miami because Embiid seems very locked in right now, and when if that Sixers team is locked in, there there's no stopping them. So I'm interested to hear your prediction, Paul, because uh, this might be the first one that we differ on. I, I'm i going Heat, and I'm going in seven games. I I still think that the Heat will be able to pull it out. I'm pulling for the Heat, obviously, as a Knicks fan. I can't root for the Sixers. Um, but I also I also do think that the Heat uh, are going to are going to get locked in. I feel like I'm just – I'm just not trusting it with how inconsistent Harden's been in the playoffs and in Embiid's injury too. You never know when it's going to flare up. I feel like those are just two big question marks. 
And if those two guys aren't performing at their highest levels, then I, I don't think that uh, Philly really has any shots. They have a tremendous shot if Harden and Embiid are playing like the Harden and Embiid that you know we're accustomed to. But it's in the end, I w- I'm taking Heat in seven. So I'm going to go a little different on this one. Um, originally, I had the Heat winning the series. Um, but when I spoke back to Sporty Jordy when the Harden trade happened, you know, we were both talking about a Bucks Sixers conference finals and like how cool that would be. Um, and also, it would be nice for the Bucks to get home court advantage in the Eastern Conference finals. I'd like to have that. And if we get Miami, I just know the kryptonite is there. That's the one team we really struggle against. Um, but I am pulling for them because I can't stand Philly. Yeah. But something tells me Embiid and Harden are going to lock in in this series and get past Miami. Um, you know, I know, I know they're down right now by eight, but you know, there's still a lot of game left. And you know, you have Paul Millsap off the bench, Georges Niang, and with Miami right now, I just with Kyle Lowry being out, I, I don't, I don't know like who's going to facilitate the basketball down the stretch. I mean, will Tyler Hero be that guy? Will it be Gabe Vincent? Um, I, I think it's just a little bit unknown. Um, again, I'm very like, and when I make this prediction, it's like a 51, 49 percentile type of prediction, but I'm going to go with the Sixers here. The, that's probably, this is probably why you, this is probably the most difficult series to predict. I mean, you know, a Celtics box is extremely difficult to predict too, but uh, the Heat and Sixers it, this is just – it could go any which way. I think it's poised to go seven games. Uh, I think there's going to be – I think there's a decent shot. My prediction is going to be two seven-game series. And I didn't say the Suns were going to make it seven games. I thought the Suns were going to win six. They win the next two. But there easily can be three game sevens uh, to end up end off the second round. And we got Noah in the comments. Heat win it hard and choke job incoming. Kind of, I really hope so. I really hope so. I hate Philly. And what time is the Kings game? That's that's a great question. Maybe one day they'll um Yeah. Uh maybe one day they'll be able to make it this far in the playoffs. I don't I you know, don't think that that's happening anytime soon, but decent hire with Mike Brown. So final <laughs> series. Celtics versus Bucks. The series that we got you on to talk about. Your Bucks series tied two to two. Obviously, Giannis has played Giannis like best player in basketball, best player in basketball the past three seasons, hands down. Thirty points. Mm-hmm. He's been averaging thirty points per game throughout the playoffs. Thirteen rebounds, seven assists, and one point three blocks. Bucks had a tough loss yesterday, but it's Chris Middleton um, being out definitely has hurt them a little bit. They'll once again. Um, They'll be without him for the rest of the series. They're going to need some bigger pieces to step up. What What are your thoughts going forward, especially for game five? Um, a little nervous because it's back in Boston. Um, I think this is where you need guys like Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, and Pat Connaughton to really step up. Plus, I think Connaughton has a – more of an advantage playing in Boston than Fiserv because that's where he played growing up since he's from Boston. So, you know, he played there, had a lot of high school games there, had a couple college games there as well. So I think that works to his benefit, knowing the court, knowing the arena. So I'd look for him tomorrow night to make some key shots. Um, my head right now is seven games again, right? The Bucks beat Brooklyn last year in game seven on the road in the, in the second round in a 2-3. I think we see a repeat here. I do think the Bucks wind up taking this in seven, but I am very worried that, you know, without Chris Middleton, can Giannis do this, right? Last year, the Bucks were without Dante DiVincenzo in the playoffs, but they still had their big three. Right now, they don't have their big three, and the assumption is that Middleton will return for the conference finals. But if this goes to a game seven, do you rush him back? Do you play him? in that scenario because then that's your season right you might have to you might have to 
That's that's the big question. But it's like, does that hurt you for the rest of the playoffs if you advance? I mean, yeah. but you can't even look that far. You can't even look that far ahead because you lose, you're done. That, right. That's right. the kind of thing. So you have to win that series. The only focus is on that series. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I think that you know it was it was a close game last night, even mm-hmm. without Middleton. Um, the, the Celtics ended up getting tremendous a, a tremendous performance from Al Horford, which was the big catalyst of the reason why they won the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jason Tatum had a great game as well, but he always has a great game. Um, I think you know this series is going to come down to you know who the supporting casts and who ends up. It, who ends up coming up bigger? Will Brooke Lopez, Grayson Allen, one of those guys come up big in one of these games for the Bucks and aid them? Or will Al Horford keep going off and advance the Celtics? Yeah, that's what's going to come down to because you know what Giannis is going to do. You know what Jason mm-hmm. is going to do. And without Chris Middleton, it's going to they the Bucks even more so than the Celtics, I think, the need that second that second guy to step up and and be big time, you know, will it be Wesley Matthews? There's they, they got plenty of guys with playoff experience who have played big games in the playoffs and have done, done big things in the playoffs before. And the Celtics are kind of, you know, somewhat of a homegrown team. They got a lot of inexperienced guys, you know, Grant Williams, Rob, Robert Williams. A lot of them are on the younger side and haven't played deep into the playoffs really that much in their career. Even Marcus Smart hasn't played too deep in the playoffs throughout his career. Uh, since 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 he's been a lifelong Celtic, but so the Bucks have the seniority for sure. But the question is going to be, they're going to they're also going to have to steal a game in Boston. That's mm-hmm. the thing, as as you were alluding to, you know, there's going to be if if the series goes seven, two, it's going to be two out of the three in Boston. So and Game Seven would be in Boston. So yeah. that's huge, and coming being able to pick off a win. I think I think the winner of Game Five is going to be uh, a big teller about the series. I think that that gives a huge advantage to whichever team. I mean, obviously, you go up three to two; it's a big advantage. But I think that's yeah. that's almost like that's bigger than almost anything else. I think the X factor comes down to coaching, right? Udoka, you know, first year coach for Boston. Bud has been here for a few years now. He's been you know, in the NBA finals and the conference finals. And, you know, he's coached up a good team. This team is better than the team that won it all last year, depth-wise. They brought back yeah. a lot of those pieces that were there in 2019 that left, uh, Wesley Matthews and George Hill, to name two. I think those are the two guys that weren't on the team last year but were on the team the year before. Yeah. Um, so I think there's more depth now. The problem is um, Boston made a good adjustment last night. They started Daniel Tice. I believe they were without Robert Williams, and it worked to their benefit, right? They, they they went big in their lineup with Horford, Tice, and the the Bucks really didn't have an answer for it. And, oh, Grant Williams, he's a young player. He's inexperienced. I get it, but it still concerns me. I still do think Boston wins at least one more game in this series. I hope Noah's second-to-last comment isn't right because that will make me very, very disappointed. That's, um, that would be that'd be a tough one. That would be a tough that, one to follow. Part of me thinks the Bucs could lose this series, but like I said, coaching, and I, I wanted to ask you this, by the way, because I mean there was people talking about it last night, Boston fans in particular. Do you think Giannis is starting to get the, Le- the LeBron treatment when it comes to like foul calls and everything? Or do you think that Giannis is just so massive of a human that every time you try to guard him in the paint, you're bound to foul him? I think that it, it could be a mixture of both. Um, there are certain players, there's no doubt that there's certain players that get the foul calls. And there's certain players that have made a career out of being able to sell a foul. Mm-hmm. And when you got a guy like Giannis, when you've got a guy like LeBron, um, who are just massive players that whenever they drive to the paint, there's going to be a lot of contact. They're you know not going to call it every single time. And there's going to be a lot of times where it'll be blatant that it seems like they should have called it, that they're not going to call it just because, you know, it, it would be a cheat code for Giannis okay. to drive to the hoop every single time and just and he gets fouled every single right. time. You know, um, that's where I stand on that. I think it, it it's always a very interesting debate because, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan, but I do think that, you know, 
throughout throughout his career, he's whined a lot with you know dumb calls, but there's definitely been some that haven't gone his way, mostly due to his size and physicality. I think uh, that he kind of brings. I think I think that's a big part of it. I think that's you know Giannis definitely doesn't get some of the foul calls because every because of the of his size and the contact that he endures also doesn't come across as the as huge contact that would that would warrant a foul call in a, a lot of times. I, I think the biggest thing heading into Game Five tomorrow night, and I I, I do think you're right about that. I, I don't think he gets the Le, the LeBron treatment, but I I do think there are some points in time that he's just so fast and so big. Like if he initiates contact, he's going to get the call. Um, my biggest concern is Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis both had underwhelming performances last night. Bobby Portis did not have a good game uh, scoring-wise. He actually didn't yeah. play much. Um, you know, Boston goes short rotation. They only play seven, eight guys. You know, outside of Derek White and Peyton Pritchard, who else comes off the bench for them? No they one. don't. They, they have a very short leash. Yeah, and, and, and they're not very big. So it, it's, it's just mind-blowing how – you know, Connaughton had a good game. He had 11 and 7. The problem is Drew Holiday, 5 for 22 from the field. I mean, you no. can't be taking that many shots. Uh, Drew Holiday should not be taking 22 shots a game. It, it just it just can't happen. And I think if the Bucks are going to win game five, that has to change. Other guys have to take more shots. Allen, seven shots. Wesley Matthews, five. Bobby Portis, seven. Um, there should be a little bit more diverse shot selection because these other role players were doing good. Brooke Lopez had 17 last night. Like it was vintage Brooke Lopez right there. He still got it at 33 years old. So if the Bucs are going to win game five, Drew Holiday needs to play better. That's the key for me. Absolutely. I think I think it's true. I mean, even more so as we've said throughout the entire episode, uh, Chris Middleton being out. Uh, these guys got to step up. Drew Holiday be, being the number one guy that has to step up. You know, he's like the third, the third option on a healthy team. Um, they've they definitely uh, need to get something out of those guys. So that's that's mm-hmm. pretty much that's pretty much the case. So before we wrap things up, got to get your prediction on the series. I'll go first. Mm-hmm. I think my prediction is Buxton seven. I think that the Bucs will end up pulling it out. I obviously will be rooting hard for the Bucs. I want to see the Bucs win in six. I would have loved to see the Bucs win in four, but it's because I hate the Celtics. But I think that the Bucs are just a deeper team. They're going to figure things out. One big reason that they didn't go up three to one last night is because of a very fluky uh, appearance by Al Horford. You know, I, I mean, you know, you could say it's fluky. A fluky may not be the right word. I may may not be doing it so as as much justice as he deserves because he is a very good player. But you know he hasn't been putting up those numbers all season, and you know kind of like a performance like that. If the Bucks are able to lock in, get a good game plan together, and get good scoring from their fourth, fifth, sixth options, then I I don't see the Celtics being able to catch up to them. So I also have Bucks and seven, but here's how I have it unfolding, just to go a little bit more into depth. And, and Garth, this is purely he's, out of spite, right? He, now. He's going to disagree with anything you say. Oh, a hundred percent. The Bucks lose tomorrow night in Game Five, go down three to two. They win Game Six at home, come back, win Game Seven on the road. Um, I think that's you know when the Bucks are down and facing a, a elimination these last two years, they don't lose. Yeah. Right. Last year, they won the championship. They were down in every series, just about from the conference semis onward. They were down in every series. So, you know what? Milwaukee in seven, but tomorrow night, game five, mm-mm. Celtics are winning that one. Yeah. I, it, you know, it's, I, I can see. I that. hope I'm wrong, but <laughs> I can see that. Going back to Boston, Celtics win and then the Bucks win the next two. Might happen, but when you know, it's a great point. Giannis kind of proved to us last year when the lights are shining the brightest, he always shows out. Garth, no, not, nothing against Tom. I'm a huge Tatum fan, though. Tatum's Tatum's a tremendous player. I hate the Celtics. Thirty last night, yeah. T- Tatum's like equivalent to Aaron Judge well, for me. 
Garth is also a huge Duke fan. That's why he was throwing the Shire comments in before. And Garth was actually at Coach K's final game. Really? Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really cool. So he yeah. is a huge Duke fan. I hear it from him every day how, how, how Duke does this. Duke landed a transfer from Wright State or North Fort or something like that. Like they, they get this guy and that guy. They get three other top recruits in this year's class and they're going to yeah. be just fine. But three um, of the top 10 guys they got. Yeah. And to, he must have had to camp out for like two weeks yeah. in order to get the tickets for uh, no. a game. He drove from Florida to New Orleans the day of. Wow. To the final four. Yeah. Oh, the final he, four. I'm th- I'm thinking of the no. fucking final game at Duke. Yeah. No, the it, final it game at Duke, Duke was, was ridiculous. It, it, it was the final four game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to let Tom know he on a daily basis. Drove. The diehard Duke fan. Hey, if you drove all the way to New Orleans to, to watch Coach Key's last game, I give you a ton of credit. That, that's, that's like a top goal of mine is to – you know, go to go some to March Madness, go to Final Four March Madness games, any in particular Final Four, not Final Home game. Uh, I also got Lightning and Florida updates from him. <laughs> okay, so we got a mix of sports going on. But speaking of a mix of sports, like I was saying before, too, Jason yeah. Tatum is before we wrap up the show. I'll say I'll say this: Jason Tatum to me is equivalent to Aaron Judge. I hate both of their teams with a passion. But I respect them both as great players. Of so, course, no, no, you know, no knock against them. Noah Diebler is a closest Stamkos fan, diehard fan. Don't let him fool you. The, these these two are going to keep going at it. I mean, they're Georgia and Florida football fans. They 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 disagree on just about everything. That's we got to get Hank on the show to uh, to fight to argue back with these guys. Yeah, and if you ever if you ever want to talk Duke, you gotta get Garth on the show. He's uh he's a funny guy to talk with. That's an incoming guest. We're gonna work we're gonna work that out. Because I need to get I need to get Duke fans opinion about this upcoming class, about John Shire, all that kind of stuff. I'm very, very interested in that. But that's gonna wrap things up for tonight's episode. Want to thank everyone who tuned into the review and preview network to watch another episode of the three and D and to all those listening via podcasts, YouTube, etc., You can also follow the show on Twitter at the three and D where we tweet live updates of my thoughts while watching the games, all the breaking stuff that's going on in college basketball, bringing stuff that goes on in the NBA. You're not going to want to miss it. So you can follow us on Twitter at the three and D that's where we're the most active Tom, a pleasure as always. Uh, I mean, the majority of the fans know where they can find you, but it's, we, we can give them a reminder. Um, Yeah, well, right here, Review and Preview Sports, Wednesdays at 7, although we're not airing tomorrow due to some scheduling issues. We'll be back the week after. And then my Giants podcast, my exclusive New York Giants podcast, you can find at Big Blue Avenue on YouTube. Uh, we also have platforms on Instagram and Twitter. But if you like up-to-date content on the New York Giants, that, that's the place to find it. Big Blue Avenue. We're at 398 subscribers right now. So trying to get to 400. That, that would be nice to get there by the weekend. But thank you guys so much. And thank you, Paul, as always, for letting me plug myself and uh, have myself on your show, The 3 and D. Of course. Anytime. And everybody, all you diehard Giants fans, go check that out. Tweet nonstop, post nonstop on Instagram, every breaking news, every coaching hire in yeah. the, throughout the team, every cut of guys that if you're a Giants fan, some, some guys you've never even heard of, you'll find out if they get cut. It's all the breaking news that you need. Check out Big Blue Avenue right there. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week. And stay tuned for more updates and brand new episodes coming every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock for the rest of the NBA playoffs and for the NBA draft. Have a great night, everyone.